creates a much stronger foundation for you to explore all these different avenues with art and NFTs and product and whatever you can think of, as opposed to just the product being the thing that your community is built around. Like if there's a bigger philosophy that you can express continually and and kind of build out with all these different iterations and publishing all these different things, I think that's the strength of visualized value is every piece of work that goes out is kind of this cumulative effort to build this like library of assets that people reference and share and things of that nature. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved. And we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Alejandro, how's it going? Man, it's going really well, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm excited for this podcast episode. Who do we have on today? Matt, we have Jack Butcher today, the founder of Visualize Value, an incredible community. He started pre-COVID, pre-NFT, showcasing really high complex quotes or metaphors and things of this nature into very simplified designs. And earlier this year, around February, March, he pivoted to NFTs and he's taken the community by storm. And what I'm most excited about is that he is a prolific leader for NFTs, for social impact and for good. What are you excited about? Yeah, uh, you know, given my journalism background, I'm a big fan of visual storytelling. I'm a, I'm always really interested in creators who can simplify complex concepts into like easily shareable, digestible, um, you know, visual visual graphics. And he's done a great job of doing that. I think that's really key to driving mainstream adoption, which is part of our mission. Excited for this conversation with Jack. Um, before we jump into it, do want to remind you to sign up for our newsletter, nftnow.com. We're always also simplifying complex market actions into uh, easily digestible and actionable insights. Uh, so head to nftnow.com for that. Without any further ado, Jack Butcher. Jack, how's it going, man? Good, mate. How are you? I'm good. Glad to have you on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So for our uh, listeners who may not know sort of your backstory, I'd love to just kick it off by telling us a little bit about your journey to creating Visualized Value. Background, I'll try and make this compact. I studied graphic design, started in 2007, graduated in 2010. That was in Cardiff in the UK. Moved to New York after about six months of interning in little design shops in London and sent a bunch of 150 emails on Craigslist, got one response from a guy that was running a little boutique agency in New York, made the jump over to New York and spent seven, eight years doing various agency jobs as a designer, art director, everything from designing websites to shooting car commercials to designing apps, any creative exercise that you would hire an agency to do. Over the course of seven, eight jobs, I did a little bit of everything. In 2017, I was like, oh, I've got enough experience now. I can start my own agency tinge of early or mid-20s arrogance in that. So I started the uh, start an agency, got a couple of Fortune 500 clients through the network that I built throughout my short career and quickly realized, okay, this is a hellish way to make a living. You got to 
essentially hire up a gang of people to just absorb the inefficiency of a Fortune 500 company, right? Most of your time is spent on the phone or writing emails or just doing things that aren't necessarily the work itself. So pivoted the agency from like a everything to everyone creative shop to a really, really specific set of deliverables. And that became Visualized Value kind of retroactively after the people I was working with described what the work had done for them. So I basically picked this really small niche, which was pitch decks originally. So I'd take the stories that I was or the, the process of visualizing stories I would use to, to sell in agency work and kind of realize over time, well, I'm better at this than I am at the actual product I'm trying to win. And I had this network of people that had businesses and products and things that they were really passionate about that they really struggled to explain. And Visualize Value was born out of just helping them tell their story more effectively. So that was the agency for 18 months or so. And then hit that cap again, where there's more people that want to work with you on the agency side than you can handle as a function of putting out these black and white graphics. If you haven't seen, you can find on Instagram or Twitter, they were kind of the the lead magnet for the agency back then. And then it became, you know, had enough reach to start testing out products. So we sold some art in a book, we sold some print, built a couple of education products. So helping people learn the, the skill of visualizing their probably January this year. Actually, I think Alejandro must have been among the the group of people that reached out to me in the Visualized Value community. And they're like, why aren't you paying attention to NFTs? Like, There's such a good overlap here with what you've been doing. You've been creating digital art for a couple of years. And this is now a technology that allows you to you know, be more involved in that world. And uh, the, the amazing thing about the agency world is you kind of create the art in order to get attention to do something else versus the NFT world where the art is the thing. And that was like a huge, it actually took me a few weeks or months to come around to this idea after a few people had reached out to me because I did my own little bit of due diligence to begin with. And the platforms that I saw in January or so, I was like, what is going on here? This is like Starship Enterprise level complexity. And uh, I think Rarible or uh, OpenSea, even when I looked at those back then without context, I was like, I have no idea where to even begin here. And then a foundation was where I really like found a bit of footing and started experimenting there. And then since then, you know, the last six months, I've been uh, running different experiments, like making art, meeting a ton of interesting people like yourselves. And uh, yeah, here we are. Thanks, Jack, man. I didn't, and it's been a, it's a huge pleasure to follow your journey. I love that you build in public and openly. You love the uh, build one sell twice. That's a really great philosophy as well. But that, that's a that's a story for another day. But man, you've had your content shared by so many great people, you know, across the web. Everyone from like Naval, celebrities, you know, thought leaders, philosophers, etc. Right? Like you're you're really dissecting this down into a really great process, but you've been building a really strong community for visualized value for some time now. What are some key learnings that you can share about uh, like building community? What is some of the good and some of the bad? Yeah, so this is actually something that's been interesting in getting into the NFT world and almost accidental. So visualized value community was sort of seeded way before I understood what an NFT was or how an NFT marketplace worked. The community itself, the art that was being put out was the magnet that attracted all these people into this place versus, you know, this being a pure financial instrument or something that people are speculating on from scratch. So the idea that there's like this shared philosophy in the community already of a couple thousand people, that to me is 
the thing that you learn in hindsight almost, it's almost an accidental byproduct of you just saying what you think and publishing work that you enjoy making. Uh, it, and that's like always frustrating advice to hear. It's like if you're trying to build community in a very like obvious way or it's like you know you walk into a party and you're like hey you want to be part of my community it's like that's not really how community building works right it's like almost this natural process that is a byproduct of you doing what you're doing and if you chase after it directly then you sort of turn people off that to me is like the main learning has been is there a way that you can produce work put work out into the world and then give people the option to like engage further with that work in whatever way that might be you know a, a discord or a, you know we started with uh, telegram group, WhatsApp group, email lists, just expanding further on the work that we were doing in public, that I think creates a much stronger foundation for you to explore all these different avenues with art and NFTs and product and whatever you can think of, as opposed to just the product being the thing that your community is built around. Like If there's a bigger philosophy that you can express continually and, and kind of build out with all these different iterations and publishing all these different things. I think that's been the, the strength of visualized value is every piece of work that goes out is kind of this cumulative effort to um, build this like library of assets that people reference and share and things of that nature. So if you could distill similarly to how you do it in, uh, in the visualized value community, how, what would be the one sentence to how to build community? Something along the lines of being yourself unapologetically in public consistently is how I've managed to make this work in any semblance of a way. You know, uh, one of the things I think you've done really well with visualized value is like distill so what can be complex and then sometimes like intimidating concepts into very simple and engaging um, and visual formats that I think like really help educate and, and kind of bring people in that otherwise might be uh, turned off by perhaps the subject matter. And so... Um, I'm curious, you know, as we're looking towards fostering mainstream adoption of NFTs, what 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 do you think are like the most effective approaches, strategies for for mm -hmm. doing that? First of all, thank you very much. That's the intention is to take these things that are like really difficult to understand or things that have helped me and then retroactively like repackaging them in a way that the way I've thought about it is like, how do you design a more attractive front cover for an idea or a concept that makes people want to dig in a little further? Maybe it doesn't encapsulate everything about it but it's it it pulls on the string of curiosity i think in the nft space and the crypto space more broadly there so many of the people who are incredibly convinced about the future of crypto are highly technical people so nfts is like this new this new branch of crypto that is you can start to grasp without having the the technical understanding of like the specific functions of a blockchain, for example. So I think pairing pairing that medium that's going to bring a lot of people in, regardless, because it you know it's more closely aligned with culture, and you see things like Top Shot and even like avatar projects that you can pretty quickly understand why someone outside of crypto would get interested in that thing. It's a status symbol in the same way that a lot of other physical things are status symbols. I think there are like core concepts to Web3 and NFTs that you can start to break down into these like these visual distillations of the differences between a Web2 and a Web3, for example. So there's a few things in along those lines that I've been playing around with. And that's been a big or 
a big device that I've used in Visualize Value has been the contrast between either like how you might have thought about something versus how you could think about something. There's this great thing you can do with visuals where there's an instant comparison that your eye makes between two ideas. And one of the things that I've been playing with is, you know, what is the visual difference between a Web 2 and a Web 3? So there's all different scenarios that you can do there. I made a piece, the difference between a JPEG and an NFT one is just a square with a JPEG. The other is an NFT with a little blue check mark in the top right. And that just conveys a ton of information, but at the same time, doesn't answer all the questions. So someone, it actually sparked like a bunch of controversial debate on Twitter, which is how I think people get to learn a lot of things these days anyway. So distilling it down without like murdering the nuance and getting somebody interested in like, why is that different has been uh the objective in a few recent pieces like web one to web two to web three and how like that adds different dimensions and uh there's a lot of there's so much material to work with on the visual side here because um there are so many visual concepts that people are already familiar with in web two and then you can draw comparisons and contrast to what that might look like what that might look like in web three and Visualized value has like it began really as basically adding visual context to philosophy is a way I think about it. And this is really, you know, Web3 and NFTs are a technical manifestation of a new type of philosophy in a lot of ways. So you can take those same principles and that same that same objective and overlay it on what this what's happening with this transition from, you know, the way the internet was to the way that at least the three of us on this call are betting that it's going to be in a period of time. That's really elaborate, Brian. I, I love how you're describing the Web3, Web2, Web1, that, that distillation is really powerful. Um, I know you mentioned um, a little bit about controversy on Twitter. Um, you like to stir up a little bit more than just conversation. Um, let's chat about a little bit about what happened earlier this year with Twitter, the platform itself. Can you give our listeners some context and what happened and what was the outcome? Yeah, so I have a personal Twitter account. Visualize Value is a separate Twitter account. And I started, I've got, I had maybe six or seven accounts, you know, little creative projects. I'm sure everybody does this in the same way that you register a domain. You're like, okay, I need to get the Twitter handle and I'm going to start posting stuff. And uh, I must have had maybe seven or eight accounts attached to the same email address, which I now know is a rookie mistake. Um, you just put the plus one or the plus two after the email and it lets you register with the same email. And I think in March or something, there was a big purge of duplicate accounts on Twitter. I think this, um, you know, there was all the political heat that happened earlier in the year and then Twitter responded and it was just a big algorithmic sweep. So if you hit a couple of criteria, then a bunch of your accounts were going to get deleted. I also had app value, which was like the, my intention there was actually to get into like the redefinition of value and how we're, you know, how economic systems are changing, but it was going to be all written content, not, not visualized value, which is obviously the, the graphic content I've been producing. And I think I was actually on the computer and I went to switch accounts. It's like this account, this account has been banned. This account is suspended. Sorry. And that was everything except my personal account. So visualized value, value. I had a couple of other accounts that were a lot smaller. Yeah. I just took the screenshot. I had like five emails come into my inbox. It's like this account suspended. This account suspended. Fortunately, I tweeted out the screenshot of the thing, something about platform risk. I got a bunch of DMs from a few people that work at Twitter that 
had been following visualized value and they're like, let me escalate this or we'll get it back. Took a day or so and I was, I was able to make a case. I had to write an email to explain. So the reason they banned them was the, the accounts had overlapping content or something. So they were trying to claim that I was using three accounts to say the same thing or something of that nature. I'm not sure how any how that's determined, but yeah, I managed to get back, I think three or four of them visualized value and um, a couple of other really tiny accounts that I was running some experiments on. Yeah, that turned into a big discussion around decentralized social. And this was really before I mean, it had to be close to when I was just about getting into the world of NFTs and decentralized social. And this is when BitClout was like ramping up. And so it was, it's kind of a huge blow to a business like Visualize Value because the Twitter account is really like responsible for 80% of eyeballs and relationship building. So pretty shocking to have that just like ripped out. And I've, I know that I was fortunate just in the fact that I had a, a decent sized personal account and network that I could tweet out and ask for help. I think if I didn't have that, I would be in a very different situation. I'm sure there's a ton of people who lost assets that they've put hours and hours, you know, years of creativity and thought into because an algorithm triggered, uh, they, they tripped a wire in some in some algorithm. And uh, I was hoping that this was going to put like put me on some course of like, okay, I'm going to decentralize everything. I'm not going to rely on Twitter anymore. But I'm sad to report that I'm, you know, I'm back in the same position I was in back then, just with my the exact same amount of risk. Um, I built email newsletters and things of that nature, but the NFT world in particular, it runs on Twitter, and there's a, just a huge, there's maybe a huge cognitive dissonance there of how much the space is uh, reliant on these like platforms that distribute narrative. Central, like Discord, is the same thing, right? They're they're centralized systems and they are largely responsible for the culture that's built around um, NFTs in particular. I'm sure it must have been really frustrating to to build. I'm I'm also one of those guys who, whenever I think of a project idea, <laughs> I, I register a Twitter account immediately. So I'm 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 surprised that I, that this didn't happen to me. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, that's that's good tips to to avoid that in the future. I'd love to just get a little bit too like hear a little bit about like what was like that light bulb moment for you when you decided to to like when you realized like what the like the potential of nfts and and figured out sort of like what your role was going to be and how you're going to like in that space and how you were yeah. going to use the technology yeah so i'll be completely transparent about my foray into it originally was just like absolutely shocking to me like i had like heard from people like alejandro like you have to start experimenting with nfts and look at this pay attention to it and like I said, I looked at platforms that were way over my head in terms of complexity and then foundation popped up and uh, it's like, oh, this makes total sense. You, you upload a piece of artwork and you begin an auction for that piece of artwork. I wasn't embedded in NFT culture in the same way that I am now. I'm glad that I did that now because it got me into this world, but it definitely, I just followed the same playbook I had been for visualized value, right? Try it, see what happens, document your learnings, then try something different. And the art world is a little different than that. Where people make way more calculated moves and you know, there's, there's much more scrutiny, I think, in terms of how much work you publish and like what, uh, you know, what frequency do you make work available and what, how do you price it and things of that nature. And I didn't come into this world with any of that uh, with any of that context. So um, originally I saw like 
almost a separate a separate component to the rest of the visualized value world but with time there's there's like this huge convergence of understanding how valuable it is to make ownership available to people that believe in the visualized value network right and i say ownership in a you know this is not financial advice and you know all of those disclaimers that you need to give but the idea that there are people who would never are not interested in buying education products on visualized value don't necessarily want like a print on their wall that they're going to change out every couple of weeks or months but to be able to to be able to like own a piece of own a piece of artwork that is like the really strange thing about nfts is the like the inverse relationship to scarcity, right? You can own an image that you actually want that thing to go as viral as possible. And visualized value has kind of proven that mechanic over time that these images resonate at scale. And to give somebody the option to own an image that they know resonates at scale and resonates with them in a really special way is it's just something that there was no technology for before there was no like there was no way to make that possible so that to me it took a little while for that to click and then uh once it did even the the subtleties the direction of the business i start to think about it a little different and again i'm not coming at this from the angle of like a pure play artist which i think is at least at this point in time there are there's like a tranche of people and artists that are massively respected in the NFT space because they were publishing work in 2017, 2018. They're like crypto native, digitally native artists. And visualized value is like, I don't know, I, don't, I feel like it doesn't fit into any of those categories very smoothly. So it's like a thing unto itself. So uh, trying to figure out what the next iteration of it is and all the different ways you can experiment with NFT technology to get people to interact with the you know, the world of visualized value in new and like more involved ways is like the next iteration of this, not just making images available for purchase. Yeah, I love that. And especially on that on that note, you're consistently using your voice and your platform to give back to important causes. You know, what drives you to create these initiatives? And then I'd love to dive deeper into what inspired you to step forward for that Afghanistan refugee prog uh, program that you did and what was the result of that? Yeah, so the that's been a theme of, I think the amazing thing actually that, that NFTs in general make possible is the like, there's a very well aligned, uh, it, it really aligns the monetization of a, uh, of a, of creative output. So if I'd have said, this thing is going on in Afghanistan. Here's a GoFundMe page. Everybody go and contribute to this thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. Do I think it would have raised $200,000? Absolutely not. So I feel like people who have the ability to produce work that they already have like this proven network effect for can then direct energy and attention in all of these interesting ways that also give, some, give people something back for their contribution too. So one of the things we ran before the NFT, before NFTs were a part of what we we're doing was um, in, I think it was Christmas 2020, we said, purchase any digital visualized value product. No, sorry. Donate the dollar amount of any visualized value product to a charity of your choice and just forward the receipt to us and we'll give you the product. And that was a, I think that we raised $110,000, $120,000 for, you know, 
hundreds, thousands of different charities. People chose the thing that resonated with them. And we like, instead of all of the tax implications of us, like raising money, redonating it, choosing which charity to go for. I think that was where the spark went off in my mind, where I was like, first of all, like people are really willing to support causes if there's, um, particularly if there's a, like an incentive to do so, because I think everyone has good intentions, but if there's like, if you're confronted with a decision that has either a time limit or like an incentive attached to it, it's human nature to be like, you know, you make a decision in that moment as opposed to like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll come back to it later. So I think NFTs uh, create this really interesting this interesting tweak on like maybe it's human psychology or sociology where you can have a an asset represent something you care about so your skin in the game is represented by a something you hold in your wallet as opposed to a transaction you forgot about so i think that has a bunch of different implications one it's like you remember the feet like the filters that you could put up on your facebook profile photo like everybody's like really quick to hit the filter button and show your support for this and there's nothing wrong with that yeah nothing wrong with that it's great but how um like does that actually signal that you uh like have the next level of support is saying you know i spent x or i committed x amount of capital to this cause i care about and I think the network effect of even novel technology, right? There are a bunch of different reasons why that particular initiative was able to raise, uh, we were able to raise the amount of money we did because it's a new application of a new technology and it's aligned with you know, the work that I was already doing. It's not like a massive pivot from the daily, uh, the daily feed of, of visualized value. So I think... Just in general, NFTs are going to be an interesting mechanic for philanthropy. Um, and even since we did that, there's been some amazing examples. Did you see the lobby, the lobster? I can't remember what they were called. That PFP oh, okay. project. No, tell us more about that. What is that? Was that like based uh, so, on like you guys or something? No, no. But that we did, um, we did another fundraiser for um, Coin Center. It's like a the lobbying group. That's a like lobbying a, group a in DC. Yeah, they're yeah. they're trying to educate politicians on to set like fair crypto policy, and they're so criminally underfunded. It's just unbelievable. Like I think they're one point three million dollars a year or something is the funding for this entire organization. And you see like fifteen crypto punks sell on one day for half a million bucks each and everybody's sort of enjoying this environment that's been created but not pledging any of the uh, you know any of the spoils of this thing to helping like defend this technology as it goes through these like stages of mass adoption so we did a, a fundraiser for coin center when the infrastructure bill was going through the house and there was a pfp project it was something lobsters and they chose to donate a, uh, a decent chunk of the, um, I think the mint, uh, the proceeds from the mint to Coin Center. They donated a thousand Ethereum, so three years of operating expenses for this uh, this think tank. In you know, 24 hours they raised that money. And the crazy thing is, you know, that kind of money is just sloshing around this ecosystem on a daily basis. And I think. That's going to be a huge part of the next chapter of crypto and NFTs is just how much 
can be accomplished playing these like positive sum games i think we're just on the sort of on the cusp of seeing a lot of that play out more um you know more in the mainstream it's exciting man uh and i think people will begin to understand that they can uh like you can you can integrate in a really elegant way, right? There's, there are like, I think we've seen it with Bored Apes. Like they did a, didn't they do a dog rescue with the the dog? Yeah, with the Bored Ape Kennel Club. Yeah, uh, the Kennel Club. They gave 10, 20% or something to like uh, animal shelters. And the podcast that I record weekly, Not Investment Advice, Bilal, one of the guys that that is a a co-host on there, he worked at Charity Water for a while and he gave some like, gave some perspective on just how difficult it is for a like top level blue chip charity to raise a hundred grand. And it's way more, way more outrageously difficult than you would think, even with, you know, the corporate partners they have and like the huge donors they have. So I think crypto and NFTs can really shake up that world. And it can also play really well in, you know, combating some of the narrative that comes from various different angles that attack this as like a parasite when it can do a lot of good and raise a lot of money and help a lot of people so that's i think uh, a, a big part of the next chapter of crypto and nfts i love that i love that and you know i've caused dear to my heart as well you know having I come from the nonprofit space originally so um really great to hear those insights and and uh, kudos to you on, on that work thank you um, yeah, just to sort of close things out, just love to get your thoughts on like what what's the what do you ha- what's in store for the future of visualized value and uh, and and also like your thoughts on 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 how the the NFT space uh, plays a big role in that. Mm. It definitely there's there's so many ideas that this opens up. Just all the different mechanics that crypto and NFTs make possible. Honestly, the majority of the ideas are just too scary from uh, like uh administrative perspective like the thought about oh there's a you know possibility to have like a uh a dow where we're able to become a market for um producing these visual explanations at scale for people that need uh this type of work done i think in time when the infrastructure gets easier to set those things up i'm i'm so afraid of letters from three letter agencies that i'm not building any securities anytime soon (laughs) but there's a they huge a huge potential for that to you know change the underlying structure of the business long term and then on the other side of it like evolving from the auctioning a you know an image or a, a, a a moving image as a piece of art to what do like i've built some relationships with people that are really talented on the technical side of nft development and i think visualized value is particularly well poised to like get closer to what's technically possible with nfts and you know putting work on chain and one of the things that i'm really interested in doing is building a i don't know how much i should give away here but the idea of producing a collection of work that is that educates people on just just give us the alpha jack just give us the alpha bro (laughs) so so if if you were to create a collection of nfts that were they're only made possible through this technology so art that could only be produced as an nft um so you can take all of these different um attributes of like what it means to 
what it means to be able to track the ownership of a piece of art, for example. And there are different projects and people that are playing with these mechanics where, you know, art changes as a result of it changing hands or the price at which it changed hands or the time of day at which it changed hands. Um, there's all of these things that I don't think are playing out in the early stages of the NFT world at large because people kind of see what works and then do a slight tweak on it and put it out there. Right. I think the idea of all the projects that came out two or three months after board apes, or maybe even sooner than that six weeks after board apes, you imagine thousands of teams all over the world were like, wow, that's a badass idea. Let's go and like basically figure out a way to do a variation of that. And I think there's now a, uh, there's, there's a lot of talented people kind of taking a pause and building things that are, you know, that can, I wouldn't say only be accomplished on chain, but are really like uh, blockchain native experiences and art and things that um, start to educate people more broadly on what's possible. And I, I think, again, that's going to be helpful for popularizing NFTs as a as an art form versus, you know, the endless supply of kind of uh, emulative profile picture projects, for example. You know, and there are amazing examples in there, amazing artists working on that stuff and amazing developers. Uh, but I think we're, you know, we're also on the cusp of some, like Pac is a perfect example of this, like just an incredible artist, thinker, and the possibilities of things uh, on the art side, I think are going to blow us away in the coming years. Totally agree, man. Well, you know, it's going to it's gonna be an exciting few years. Glad to have you join us and uh, get a bit of insight into, into what you have going on and we'll be watching. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate you, brother. Likewise. Wow, that was a great conversation. Uh, Alejandro, what stood out to you? Man, I just love the level of intentionality around every action that he takes. You know, like he definitely does iterative experimenting in the public, but it's very intentional. And I really love his drive to help others and create value for his community and the communities outside of NFTs or, and to bring them into mainstream value. Yeah, I, I love that too. And uh, I love the way he's thinking about the intersection of NFTs and philanthropy. I think that's going to be a, a really impactful uh, use case uh, going into the future, really revolutionize the fundraising aspect there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool to see um, him already, uh, guys like him already having an impact. So um, yeah. I uh, want to also remind you, if you enjoy the podcast, just, you know, leave us a little review and, and a little feedback on, give us some stars on, uh, on Spotify, Apple, Apple Music, wherever you go to listen. Um, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>